0: what's up welcome to the final episode of sophie's corner an educational podcast that explores the paths of healing and justice for survivors of sexual assault and rape here we aim to understand the different processes a survivor may go through on their individualized path towards rehabilitation in our last episode we talked about multiple different paths for healing we talked about traditional talk therapy and the different approaches that go under that umbrella. We talked about art therapy, which I geeked out about. <laughs> and then we talked about spiritual therapy. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the importance of finding a support group or community. It doesn't have to necessarily be group therapy. <laughs> like It can just be a place to go that fosters a community with your best interests in mind. I interviewed Terry Conklin of Ophelia's place based out of Eugene Oregon Terry will get more into it but basically Ophelia's place is a prevention-based organization dedicated to helping girls
1: let um, me start at a place where I think you and I both have been teenagers at some point in our life right it's um, so telling me to continue I' do that um, and we know at least when I was a teenager it wasn't easy like we were dealing with all kinds of different issues whether it's You've got new relationships or something with friends, or you're making new friends or losing friends for the first time, or um, you've got parents who don't understand what you're going through, and your body's changing, and there's just all kinds of different things that are happening in your little world. And so, um, Affilius Place recognizes that girls and girl-identified youth who are in that age range of 10 to 18, they're in that that development stage. They're really going through that adolescent stage where they're just trying to figure it all out. And so Affilius Place is a prevention-based nonprofit um, that's really dedicated to helping girls make some healthy life choices by empowering them, encouraging them, educating them, and supporting them um, through all of our different kinds of programming. And we do that in lots of different ways. And I'll just briefly touch on those so you can kind of get a sense of just our breadth. So we um, our, one of our primary things that we do is offer... After an out of school programming. So, a girl could, like when we were still open (laughs) for live people or to to see each other in life, life, you know, real people, real time. Um, We um, had drop in so girls could come in and hang out with other girls. They could talk, they could have a snack, Um, they could um, do some craft projects if they wanted to. We had workshops like Exploring Feminist Anime, we had coding workshops. art workshops, cooking, whatever it was that the girls were really interested in. We tried to develop for them, kind of keeping in mind what we wanted to be able to share. So focusing things on like G-Tech or STEM or um, art or whatever it is that we really wanted to make sure that they got a taste of. So that's one program. Another program is our in-school programming. So we actually offer girl empowerment groups to a smaller group of girls, like about eight girls at a time within a school, so usually a middle school, to talk about truly whatever it is that they're dealing with. But we focus on topics like um, making healthy relationships or how to stay safe online virtually or um, how to recognize bullying and how to prevent bullying, for example, or, you know, media and body image. You know, they're being bombarded with all kinds of messages all day long but how they should act or look or feel or all those things. We explore all that with them too. So that's in a smaller format. And then we actually do classroom presentations to all the students talking about some of those same issues as well. So all the genders have an opportunity to kind of um, hear that some of that same messaging and some of that same terminology. So as girls are dealing with some of those issues, their peers understand what they're dealing with too and can potentially be a better support for them for the long run. So there's that part of it. And it's also, we offer um, um, education opportunities for staff at schools too. So something that we recognized a long time ago is that, (laughs) like the old, the old verbiage of like, it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. And it's kind of a holistic approach. Like we know that if a girl is hearing some of the same terminology from her parents and from teachers and from her peers and from, uh, you know, whatever um, youth, youth serving provider that they're seeing, whether it's a doctor or a therapist or whoever. If we're all using the same terminology, that girl has a better chance for success or understanding what the issues might be. So that's in school. And then our third arm of what we do is our therapy programming. So we actually do offer individual therapy to girls. We offer family therapy as well, as well as group therapy. Situations. So one of our big ones right now that's just growing is our queer space um, group as well. So girl identified youth, but also LGBTQIA um, the spectrum are allowed to come and kind of chat about some of the things that they're dealing with while they're growing up, trying to figure out you know, where they're at, share their coming out stories, deal with sexual identity um, and all those kinds of things as well. Um, so that's kind of like our third piece as well as some additional education to adults, like youth serving providers, we offer training there too. So we do a lot of prevention-based communication to help those girls better understand how to just feel more empowered to find their voices, to be able to um, work on their critical thinking skills, which is kind of a big deal. Um, And so when we talk about things like sexual assault or healthy relationships and those kinds of things, that's a piece of the big work that we're actually doing uh, with girls in general for prevention-based work. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I feel like girls, especially in that age range, we have a problem speaking up or finding our voice. Yes. Yes. We're almost trained from a young age to not have a voice. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it must be very important to have a bunch of girls all together in one room talking about these problems openly with no judgment. Yeah, it's actually really exciting because,
1: you know, when we were in person, it was fun to be able to kind of listen while these girls are all together. And there'd be like 20 of them at a time, 25 of them, and drop in. And that's a big group of girls. And we'd have staff and some trained interns as well to kind of working within that space just to kind of hear what's going on and help them with their conversations. And you could always tell who was new. Because they were either really excited to be there, or they were a little bit shy and a little bit nervous. But you know, after they had been coming to drop in for a few weeks, potentially, you can start seeing them really starting to have some of those deeper conversations. And it's fun to kind of see how some of those girls start to transform and being able to find their voice and feeling confident enough and safe enough to be able to have those those kinds of conversations and stuff too. We had one girl I can think about the top of my head who, by the times. Before COVID, like by the time we were finishing up right before COVID, she was like, I'm ready to be president. I'm ready to explore, you know, where I'm going to be. I just want to do so many great things. There's so much need. And I'm like, go for it.
0: (laughs) Just go for it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think Ophelia's place is unique too, because there's a stereotype out there that when girls come together, they're going to be catty Mm. or to tear each other down. Mm -hmm. so it's good to see that there's a place out there building up girls for girls, you know what I mean?
1: Right, yeah, it's one of those things that we recognized early on that um, we wanted to have a safe space for all girls, no matter what their backgrounds are, no matter their social economic backgrounds, no matter what their political beliefs might be or their parents' political beliefs. We wanted to make sure that they just had a space where they could talk about those things and it's actually written into some of the agreements that we have with parents and girls as they, you know, complete their orientations and sign up for the first time is that, you know, if you're going to be unsafe, then we need to excuse you. And that has rarely happened. I think at the end of the day, the majority of them have understood that I, I want to save space. So I want to make it safe for everybody else too. And our interns and our staff have also had the opportunities to you know, take those te- teaching moments those little things where it's like, oh, yeah, that is a catty, catty comment. Let's talk about that a little bit. And remember, this is really a safe space for all of us. So, you know, let's not. Um, There's a different way to communicate that or what your concerns are. So we'll get there. So it's really just a matter, again, of kind of teaching those critical thinking skills in real time and being a place for them to explore that in a safe place, knowing that, okay, I'm not going to get in trouble, but I know I need to learn something at this
0: at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So the therapy is, what kind of approach does the therapy take usually? So it's a
1: strength-based therapy program, and I wish I could tell you more. I'm, I'm not a therapist, um, it's, but it's a strength-based approach in that we encourage girls just to come in and try to find um, what's going to be the greatest way for them to explore some of the concerns or questions or ideas or um, issues that they're having at the time um, it really is kind of girl-led and it's also goal-oriented so I think at the end of the day we we um, we value therapy I think the majority of us on staff go to therapists all on our own anyway because we understand just the value in it um, and we want to just make sure that girls understand that we can complete something with them at the same time so they try to do I think they try to do some goal setting and then encourage them to either find a different program because they're eventually going to age out of us. not going to be able to continue working with us um, or um, just try to find what's going to be a better, just some of the solutions, I guess, for some of their concerns too. So um, we don't diagnose. There's a lot of things that we don't di- that we don't do as a therapy team. So um, that means that we have the opportunity to um, we don't bill insurance and we don't charge. It's actually free therapy for girls. And for their families, if they need it, um, or it's offered on a sliding fee scale, because we don't want dollars, we don't want money to get in the way of providing that support to girls. And so as a result of that, our waiting list is pretty significant, and <laughs> we're growing. So it's exciting to be able to see that um, girls, and I think people in general, are finding that you know, taking care of your mental health is just as important as your physical health and everything else too, and there shouldn't be a stigma attached to that. So, um, yeah, we're excited that, to be able to offer it that way.
0: Yeah, that's huge. How, yeah. Has, how has the services changed since COVID?
1: Oh, it's been interesting um, because it's kind of two-pronged. I know when at first, when all the orders came down to, to close up and to stay at home and to, you know, social distance, some of us were a little bit nervous about what that meant. And we were actually watching some. Or other nonprofits having to close their doors because they weren't prepared for that. Um, and I don't know, I haven't been able to go back and really see how they've progressed. But when we closed, we recognized that it was an opportunity for us to really rethink how our, our services are offered. So we um, actually went virtual. We took all of our therapy services to, to telemed. So now girls and families are able to meet with us virtually. In a safe space. I don't think they use Zoom. It's a different program that, you know, follows HIPAA compliance. Um, So they do that. All of our after and out of school programming went virtual as well. They do use Zoom. So we have girls who come in. Um, We actually call them now instead of drop in. We're calling them OP community groups where it's the same group of girls at about the same age range meeting once a week or so for about eight weeks. And that allows them the time to be able to get to know each other, build some friendships, really have some fun together um, and do some silly stuff right online. And um, it's so far has been really successful because this is a space that girls are familiar with. Um, And there are certainly some challenges too, like being able to you know, keep attention or making sure that girls are in, a space at home where they have some privacy. If they need that privacy, that kind of stuff, there's just some things that have cropped up just to continue learning about and working through. But we've heard so much success from girls saying, I've been able to make a friend where, you know, during COVID, I'd be so isolated and wouldn't be able to connect with my old friends or dealing with new things. I mean, COVID's made things really, really hard for everybody. And, you know, teens aren't any different, and they're actually going through some of the same things that they've been dealing with as they were growing up anyway, with COVID on top of it. So it's been extra challenging for them. So, um, we took all of that online. Our school programming slowed way, way, way down because schools were still trying to figure out how do we teach kids? <laughs> you know, do we go hybrid? Do we just stay virtual? Do we start being kids in and stuff? And so we've been following the lead of our school partners. um, And we've been able to provide some of our presentations in girl empowerment groups, both virtually or pre-recorded, like classroom presentations. We've been able to offer those too, so they could just share them out to their parents or share them out during classroom time and stuff. So that's also been a change. So virtually, it's all been virtual, all of our programming went virtual. And so that's been pretty interesting. All of our staff is continuing to work from home for the most part. Um, we certainly started offering additional resources online. So a blog, we were able to finally launch our blog on our website to be a resource for parents or for educators. Um, we've done some fun stuff on social media just to be able to keep sharing some of the messaging that that OP is all about in the first place. And at the same time, we're recognizing that it's been a year of this and we're starting to see just more and more interest in needing support. So, the ther- like I mentioned before, our therapy team is getting very, very busy. So it's exciting and
0: and challenging, and I'm glad we're able to be there to help meet that need.
1: So.
0: I was just about to ask, has the waiting list gone up or down since COVID? Have you been able to accommodate for more people because it's virtual, or has it been more challenging? It's, that's a
1: really interesting question, because initially we were thinking that because we were virtual, we'd be able to serve more, more girls And at the same time, we've been learning as well that um, some people, some girls, they just do better in person. They're able to really communicate and feel more comfortable in a personal format, because like I kind of alluded before, you know, when they're at home and virtual, we don't know if little brother is like sitting 20 feet away from them while they're trying to discuss something that's really personal or important to them. So, um, it's been a learning experience for us and it's required us to really start molding and shaping. So, um, not today and we don't know if this can be anytime soon, but I suspect that we're going to start opening up at least for our therapy services in person again, sooner than later, um, probably in the next, you know, two, three, four months maybe, um, don't quote me on that, but I'm, I'm really thinking that we're going to end up kind of bringing uh, up that additional arm back to the therapy program to be able to allow for that again. So, but yeah, we've had to hire more staff. We're actually in the process of finding another therapist just to be able to take on more
0: caseloads. So yeah. Well, that's awesome that the organization is growing. Yeah. It is. Helping. Yeah. And honestly,
1: it's only really because of the success the the, just the incredibleness of our donors. I mean, Affiliates Place really is funded entirely by either foundations or individual support or you know, corporate sponsorships, those kinds of things. And so it's really taken a lot for us to say, okay, we know that things are gonna have to change and our donors have been incredibly gracious in kind of following our lead a little bit and seeing what is our real need and where are we missing things and how can we continue to, to offer these programs to girls? Um, and then they're willing to, to support us in that aspect. So it's really exciting to see that, how a community can come together to continue doing the important work. So
0: actually, yeah, since you said that, there's a lot of other nonprofit organizations who have had to shut down during COVID.
1: So, yeah, yeah. And that's so unfortunate, and I'm really hoping that um, communities can get back to a place where they're understanding that, and this is a bigger picture question, idea is that, we know that nonprofits have a role in communities anymore. Like we know that those who are dealing with houselessness or those who are um, dealing with sexual assault or those who are dealing with you know any of the gamut of issues, mental health, whatever it is. Um, it hasn't been government who's been helping with a lot of that. And so over the course of the last 20, 30 years, more and more nonprofits have had to have a role. And how are you supporting the greater community? So It's an interesting concept to think about because I know from a COVID standpoint, when you're reading about what's happening in the media, how parents are dealing with a lot of stuff at home and struggling, um, how people are losing jobs, how girls are dealing with their own issues and stuff that, um, there's just a lot to be thinking about and a lot to be worrying about. And so self-care is one of those things that everyone talks about. In the same time, it's like, well, we have to remember that it requires community care too. We all have to be working together to make sure that we're all okay while we're also taking care of ourselves. And so it's interesting to find that balancing act.
0: Absolutely. So you yeah. said that Ophelia's Place started a blog and has kind of upped their social media. Could you mm-hmm. plug that real quick? I'm sorry? you plug that real quick, like how, how would you find it if you were looking for it? For sure. So
1: you can find, um, affiliate's place just by searching for us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, our YouTube channel is definitely taken off. Um, so it's just a matter of searching for us in Eugene. And then, um, on our website, affiliate's is where a lot of folks can find, um, good information and valuable resources for how do you deal with a with a challenging issue at home, like how do you, you know, create boundaries for how much social media, you know, your youth is actually using, or how do you deal with, you know, uh, like anger or you know anxiety or whatever while everyone's at home during COVID, you know, and you're all in tight spaces together. So how does that change the family dynamic a little bit? So there's a lot of great resources on our blog that speak to those those issues too.
0: That concluded the interview with Terry. It was interesting to talk about how nonprofits play such an integral role in community mental health. There are places like Ophelia's Place all over the country. All it takes is a few keystrokes to look up a similar style of nonprofit in your area. It can be really hard to deal with stuff, life stuff, on your own. So finding a community like Ophelia's place could be helpful in the healing process. And that concludes the final episode of Sophie's Corner. Thank you so much for tuning in to this journey of exploring the different paths of healing and justice for survivors of sexual assault and rape. Remember that there's no right or wrong way to go about healing. Everyone's different. And I'm here to remind you that your souls are beautiful. Your souls are powerful, and your souls are indestructible. Signing off, Sophie.